Hi, this is Rick Thompson, the pastor at Living Water Community Church. This is our podcast, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this message builds your faith and blesses you. Please enjoy it. Good morning again. How are you guys doing today? All right, that's better. That's boring. I want to I welcome everyone that's joining us in the house today as well as those who are joining us online. We have some really faithful people who have been coming to, into the house, and you know, I want to thank you guys because we love having you guys here. But you know what? I don't want to discount those faithful people that have also been watching online. Can we give a round of applause to our faithful online viewers? I know we have some, I have some family and some friends in different states, so what I want to ask everyone that's online right now, if you're, if you're in a different state, even if you're in Florida, because that's where we are, go ahead in the chat, in the comment, put where you're, where you're tuning in from. We want to know where you're tuning in from, and we want to keep it interactive. So good morning to everyone. Really, really happy to have you guys here. A show of hands, who was here last week? Whether you were in the house or you were, you were tuning in online, um, last week was, was fun. I had a good time with last week's message, and I want to share that, that whole idea that I, that I introduced of the, the OR, right, the obedience rating. Um, it kind of caused a little bit of dis- disruption in my house. I triggered some disruption in my house with that one. As a matter of fact, as the message was going on, I found this out after the fact, my three kids were all texting my wife and in our group chat for our family, so all that was going on, and um, really at the end of the day, they, were, they just didn't really want to, no one wanted to be the lowest. That was the bottom line. My top child, the one that had the highest OR, he was fine. He wasn't, he wasn't really texting too much because he was sitting in a good spot. But my other two were battling to not be the lowest. So that was fun. What I will say to my kids, if they are watching today, remember that every day is an opportunity to prove me wrong and increase your score. So the challenge is on. Prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. Don't be the bottom of the barrel. I'm just joking. (laughs) I'm just joking. Today we are kicking off a new series, and this new series is called TikTok, A Time for Everything. Show of hands for everyone who knows what TikTok is. Throw your hands up. If you're online, say, yeah, that's me. I know what TikTok is. Well, TikTok is a a video sharing social media service or social media platform that's based on small and short videos. And people make a variety of videos, different genres like music or or comedy or dance or education and much, much, much more. They can be as, as short as a few seconds. They can be up to about a minute. And honestly, I'll tell you that I'm not really much of a social media person. I don't really get all that involved and follow social media too much. But in preparation for today's message, I did go online and I did watch some TikToks, okay, just to see what they were all about. And I'll say that I found some some pretty interesting stuff when I went and watched these TikToks, much of which would not be appropriate to show. Let me just first say that. But I will show you this one. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right, on top. It's tricky. It's so tight. Here we go. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time. It's tricky. It's tricky, 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 tricky. <laughs> that was a TikTok video that we did last week before service started. And if you saw the idea behind it was if you go to the one side, you're saying you prefer church online, doing church online. And if you went to the other side, you prefer doing church in person, in, in the house. So that's, that's a TikTok video. I will tell you that that video, since last week's Sunday, it's kind of blown up as far as we're concerned. That video has had over 30,000 views in about a week. That's like, that's like bigger, more than an arena. If you think about how many people that is, if you go to an arena... It's more people that fit in than that fit in a common arena. So, you know, things move really quick with social media, and uh, we're happy that that TikTok video was was viewed by so many, and hopefully put a smile on some people's face. And that's really what we were trying to accomplish with that. So, way to go, Amanda and the TikTok team. I'm gonna say that like we have a team. 
I guess we have a team now because we have to follow it up with something, right? You can't just have that and nothing else. So more to come, more to come. Now, when I said TikTok first, a bunch of people put up their hands. They knew what TikTok was. Um, but some people I know that the answer was, duh, I know what TikTok is. It's the sound that a clock makes. Hello, where have you been? And you know what? You would be right. And as a matter of fact, as it relates to today's message, you would have hit the nail right on the head because the name of today's message is, It's About Time. Now, there's a well-known scripture that comes to mind when we talk about time from a biblical perspective. It's a very, very common scripture. You've probably heard it before. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, and it says this, For everything there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to harvest, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to cry and a time to laugh, a time to grieve and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to turn away, a time to search and a time to quit searching, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So quick show of hands. How many of you have either read or heard that scripture before? See a lot of hands going up. To be honest with you, for me, whenever I hear that scripture, it always reminds me of a funeral. Always reminds me of a funeral. I know my wife said the same thing. You see, I remember when I was younger and my grandfather passed. Um, this was in Jamaica. And I went down for the funeral and they asked me if I would read a scripture. And I had to read that one. And then I've gone to another funeral, and then that was a scripture that was referenced at the funeral. So for me, when I hear that, all I'm thinking of a time to live and a time to die, because it comes up so much at funeral services. But, um, but there's a lot more in there. There's a lot more to that scripture than just a time to be born and a time to die, right? There's a lot more, a wide variety of subjects that we saw, right? We saw time for peace and time for war, love and hate, a lot of things, right? Um, and we're going to be talking about some of these things in this sermon series as we go on week and week after week after week. But that scripture is stating very clearly and very plainly that there is a time and a season for everything, an appropriate time for everything, an appointed time and season for everything under the sun. And as, as I said, we're going to dig deeper in it as weeks go on. But today I want to take it back a step. We're going to back up a step to something a little more, I think, a little more profound for, for what, we, what I want to discuss today. And what is it that we're kind of going to go back to? We're going to go back to, just in general, the concept of time. Time, right? So we're talking about times and seasons for different things. But let's talk about, just for a quick minute, the concept of time. What is time? What is time? Well, there's a wide variety of answers to that. If you were to search... You're going to see a lot of responses to what time is and what time isn't, and a lot of arguments and different beliefs and ideas, what time is. But I think we can hopefully agree today, for all intents and purposes, time is a measurement of the period of time between two points or events, right? Seems weird using the, the term in the definition, like time, it's weird, but you get what I'm saying, right? So can we agree on that this morning, that time is a measurement between two points or two events, right? That's, we'll use that for today, that's time. And as some much smarter people than me figured out, they figured out the system that, that God created that measures time with, with pretty good accuracy. And we've applied names and we've applied numbers to these different um, things. And we all know them pretty much, right? right? Let's check. Let's see if you know them. How many seconds are in a minute? 60. How many minutes are in an hour? 60. How many hours are in a day? 24. How many days are there in a month? Technically, there's 28 in every month. 
just joking. But tw between 28 and 31, right? Okay. How many months are there in a season? Three months in a season. How many seasons are there in a year? There's four seasons in a year. How many years are there in a decade? There's 10. How many decades are there in a century? 10. How many centuries are there in a millennium? 10. 10. So that's a millennium. That's a thousand years. And right now we're in the year what? 2021. A millennium is a thousand years. Very good. You all passed the test. You know the basics of how we measure and track time. How many of you have ever said this? I don't have enough time to do all that I want to do. Show of hands if you said, I don't have enough time to do all that I want to do. Wow, I'm surprised that there's not more hands going up for that, but okay. I want to give you an encouraging word to those who have ever felt that way, whether you're in the house today or you're watching online, I want to give you an encouraging word if you felt that there's not enough time to do all that you want to do. You're right. There's not enough time to do all that you want to do. A few years ago, some experts got together to find out how much time was actually needed to do all that a typical person, an average person, wants to get done in a given day. And they factored in things like exercise, proper hygiene, working, commuting, doing household chores, eating, time for entertainment, spiritual development, and family time, right? They factored all that in, and when they added everything together that some, the average person wants to get done in a given day, in one day, they found that the average person needed 42 hours in a day to be able to get everything done. I find that pretty interesting. I find that interesting. So we need 42 hours a day, but we don't have 42 hours in a day. There aren't 42 hours in a day. Are we, are we on the same page right now? Yeah. All right, perfect. We're all given 24 hours each day. All of us have the same 24 hours. And for some people, at a certain age or maybe at a different situation or time in their life, with maybe little or less responsibility, they may say, wow, I have 24 whole hours each day. That's awesome. And if that's you, God bless you. God bless you if that's how you feel. That's amazing. But for the rest of us, which I believe is the majority, it's more like, I only have 24 hours each day? Man, how am I going to get things done? I only have 24 hours? So what does that mean? What does that mean? We only have 24 hours. Well, for most of us, it means that it is impossible to do everything that we want to do in a day. Let me say that again. It's impossible to do everything that you want to do in a day for most people. And it means that some things aren't going to get done in a 24-hour period. Are we tracking with me? There's some things that just aren't going to get done in a 24-hour period, which begs the question, what isn't going to get done? Or maybe the more important question is the flip of that. What needs to get done? What needs to get done? Of everything that's on your plate, of everything on your list that you have to get accomplished, what is a must? What is a must? It's your 24. It's your 24. How will you use it? I want to suggest to you this morning that the answer to that question should include alignment with God, right? I'm not gonna, we're not going to go through the message and then I'm going to tell you at the end that the answer to the question is you got to do God stuff because I think that's probably predictable and I don't think that's as practical and helpful for what we're talking about today. So we'll, we're just going to assume that God and alignment with his plans and his purposes are part of what we want to be doing every day. Is that a fair assumption to make? Amen? All right, amen. And I want to give you a little quick spoiler alert here. If your focus and if your priorities are aligned with God's, he'll make sure that you have the, the time to get him done. 
He'll make sure that you have the time to get it done if your focus and your priorities are aligned with him. Let me give you an example of that. Jesus. How long was Jesus actually in ministry? Jesus was only in ministry for three years. We read the Bible and we see all these things that Jesus did and the impact that Jesus had on this world. Jesus was only in ministry for three years. That's it. And in that three years, he had some priorities. He had some things that he needed to get done. He had to revolutionize the meaning of the Old Testament law and bring it into the new covenant. He had to introduce the gospel. He had to change the 2,000-year-old mindset of the Jewish culture. He had to change the perspective of an entire world on what sin is and on what salvation is and what spirituality is. These are all things that he had to do. He had to die for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He had to become the founder, the cornerstone of the head and the head of a brand new thing called the church. He had to do that. And I want to tell you that there's probably a bunch of other things that Jesus, as a man, wanted to do. And he may not have completed everything that he wanted to do, but he finished everything that God wanted him to do. Amen? He finished everything that God wanted him to do. So how do we align our lives to match up with our God-given focus and priorities? Well, I'm so glad you asked this morning. Here's a few things you need to know. First one, your passions determine your purpose. Your passions determine your purpose. What is a passion? What is a passion? Well, here's a quick definition. Passion is strong and barely controllable emotion. Passion is also defined as an intense desire or drive. And your passions determine your purpose. Now, let me ask you this question. Where do your passions come from? Your passions come from God because your passions are often aligned to your talents and your abilities, which come from God. So your passions will determine your purpose. We're going to take a quick look in the book of Nehemiah today. Nehemiah worked for King Artar Artaxerxes. I think we just call him Xerxes, but Artaxerxes in Susa, which was the capital of the Persian Empire at that time. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. If you don't know what the cupbearer is, it means that pretty much he's like the, secu- the um, secret service food and drink poison tester for the king. So any food or drink, he would need to be the one to try it first to make sure it's not poison before the king can have it. So he's pretty close to the king. He's a pretty, pretty important role. He's essentially putting his life on the line for the king every single day. Nehemiah 1, 2 through 4. Han and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. You need to know that in those days, the wall around a city was extremely important. It represented the strength of a city. It represented the resiliency of the city and the power of a city. So the fact that this city, Nehemiah's home, the walls around it have been destroyed and the gates were burned is a very, very big deal. Reading on in verse 4, he says, When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. When Nehemiah heard the news, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. You see, from his response, what we can tell is that Nehemiah had a passion. He had a burden 
that he was carrying for his people back home. And the passions and the burdens that, that God places on your heart, as I said before, will oftentimes reveal the purpose that God has for you. The passion that he puts in your heart will lead to the purpose that he has for you. They work together, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? The fact that God gives us talents and abilities, right? And those things turn into our passions oftentimes, right? The fact that he gives us that, wouldn't it make sense that logically those, those, those passions would align to the purposes that he may have for your life? That makes sense, right? Yeah, it makes sense. At least it does to me. So Nehemiah heard about his city, Jerusalem, and that the walls were in ruins, that the, essentially they had, they had no security, nothing to stand on. And after a time in prayer, he asked his boss, the king, King Xerxes, if he could go home, if he could go home and bring some organization and some leadership to his people. He wanted to help them out. Could he go and bring some leadership and can I help rebuild the wall of my hometown, of my city, of Jerusalem, so my people can be safe, so my people can be protected, so my people can have comfort. And watch what God did. Watch what God did when Nehemiah asked the king. The king, he's the cupbearer for him. He says, the king, res the king responds saying that, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you what I'll do, Nehemiah. I'll make you the governor over Judea. I'll make you the governor and I'll give you whatever you need to get your people back in shape. Whatever you need. What? That's amazing. That's already God working out things, right? So, so you see that Nehemiah has this, this passion, and he wants to walk in his purpose for such a time as that. And God started to align things. God said, not only am I going to make I'm soften the king's heart and show favor on you so that, yes, you're, uh, I'm going to allow you to go, but I'm going to make you the governor over that area. And I'm going to give you all the supplies and anything you need so that you can accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. God is working it out. You see, when our passion is to fulfill God's purpose for our lives, God will supply, and God will provide what we need in order to fulfill that calling. Amen? But the opposite is true. The opposite is true. If you don't stop and assess the purpose that God has for you, if you're not trying to align your passion with the purpose that God has for you, right? If you're not doing that, you're likely going to feel overwhelmed. You're going to feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, and it's very easy to stall out. It's very, very easy to stall out if you're, if you're operating on your own. You're not aligned with what God wants for you or what's going to bring glory to Him. You need to do your best to understand that God's purpose uh, understand what God's purpose is for you as you go through your life. It's really important to understand why. Why is that important? Why does that really matter, understanding what God's purpose is for you? Because you don't have time to do everything. We already established this. We don't have 42 hours a day. We have 24. So we need to understand what God's purpose is because we don't have time to do everything. You have to figure out what matters to you the most. You got to figure that out. You have to have a clear understanding of your values, of your values. You have to know what's worth living for and what's not. What's worth living for? What's that important and what just simply isn't? We may give it importance, but when we stop and really assess it, how important is this versus this? We need to have that understanding because if you don't figure out what's important in life, if you don't figure out what's valuable to you, you don't get that. If you don't figure out what your priorities are, guess what? Other people will for you. If you don't figure out what your own priorities are, other people will figure them out for you, and they will fill your plate. Second point, your purpose directs your priorities. So we said your passion leads to your, your um, purpose. Your purpose directs your priorities. You see, at this point in his life, one of God's purposes for Nehemiah was that he rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. 
and it aligned with the passion that Nehemiah had for his people. Now, what you need to know about this, why this is not just a straightforward story, is in that time around the region of Jerusalem, there was a bunch of warlords that surrounded the area. And these warlords would rob people. They would take advantage of people. They would kill people. And these warlords were treating Jerusalem with its broken down walls and with no gates to protect itself. These warlords were treating Jerusalem like their own personal stomping ground coming and going as they please, doing whatever they want, like they run the show. And Nehemiah basically said, I got to fix these walls. And you know what? If I don't get anything else done, if I get nothing else done, we've got to get the city fortified. We've got to build the walls back. We have to have a sense of security and a sense of pride and a sense of, of comfort. We have to have that. If I do nothing else, I've got to rebuild the walls around the city. And the warlords didn't like this for obvious reasons, right? The warlords didn't like this because if Jerusalem was to rebuild its walls, what would that mean for the warlords? Well, what it might mean is that Jerusalem could organize themselves and they could actually be a force to be reckoned with. And maybe we can't rule them the way we've been ruling them. We can't run around and tell them what to do. We can't have this, we can't have that. We can't, you know, take the plunder anytime we want to if they have this. Walls were important back then. As I said, it's your security, it's your stability, it's your comfort. The leader of the, the warlords was a man named Sanballat. And he was trying to use his influence as the main warlord. He was trying to use his influence and maybe some fear that people had of him to try and stop the wall from being rebuilt. And he sent some of, his, some of his men to attack the workers that were working on the wall. But Nehemiah, he armed his workers with swords, and they were able to defend themselves and fight off the attacks that came from the warlords in a matter of defense. And finally, they got to a point where the wall was almost complete. The wall is almost done. And Sanballat realized that what he was doing is not working. I'm not getting anywhere here. I'm not, I'm not stopping the progress that's, not, that's being made. And they're almost done building this wall. And he realized something that was the key to it. He realized that if I have any chance of stopping this progress, stopping them from completing the task they're doing, I've got to stop Nehemiah. I've got to stop Nehemiah because he's operating with a purpose. He's operating with passion. And it doesn't matter what, what I do to everyone else. I need to take Nehemiah out. Otherwise, we're not going to be able to stop him. So that's his realization. We'll pick it up in chapter 6. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem and Arab, the rest of our enemies, found out that we had almost completed the rebuilding of the wall, though we had not yet hung all the doors of the gates, they sent me a message asking me to meet them in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to kill me. So I replied by sending back this message to them. Now I need you to pay attention to this message. Because the message that Nehemiah sends back to Sanballat and to the warlords, it speaks volumes. It is such a powerful message. In response, Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Say it with me. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You see, I don't know who might be listening to me today that needs to understand that there's a wall in your life. There's a Nehemiah wall, something that needs to be done, something that needs to be built. And you need to take your rightful place and climb up on top of that wall to align your passion and your purpose. And you need to be intentional about devoting your time and attention to fixing your wall to completing the rebuilding of your wall. And I don't know what that is for you. And guess what? Distractions are going to come because they always do. 
But when those distractions come, you need to say what? I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down right now. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. When people are trying to pull you back into your old habits and your negative ways, and you're focused on the things of the Lord and accomplishing his purposes for your life, I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down right now. When people want to waste your time with stuff that really doesn't matter, making you run in circles, adding stuff to your plate that really is none of your business. I'm doing a great work right now, and I cannot come down. When the enemy tries to cloud your mind with negative thoughts, oh, you think you're this, you think you're that, remember this, remember that. Hey, look at this, look at that. I'm doing a great work right now, and I cannot come down. I can't come down. I'm sorry, I'm unavailable at the moment. I'm busy. I have other things that are a little more important going on right now. I've got something really important on my plate. I can't come down right now. Nehemiah had some priorities. You and I have priorities. You and I have priorities. Do you know what they are, though? Do you know what your priorities are? Well, let me quickly share a way that you can better determine what your priorities are are or what they should be. Ask yourself these three questions as you're evaluating things to see how they align with a priority. Number one, what is required of me in this role? What, what needs to get done and what part do I play in getting this done? What's required of me in this role? That's a question to ask. Number two, what produces the greatest result when I do it? When I do it. Which of the activities that you engage in result in the most fruit, have the best results? What do you do that people would agree you're really good at that? Man, you do that better than most people that I see. What is that thing? I read a quote that I liked and it says, you are most valuable when you add the most value. You are most valuable when you add the most value. Just because there's work that, that, that needs to be done doesn't mean that you should necessarily be the one to do everything. You are most valuable when what you do adds the most value. Number three, what is most fulfilling when I do it? You know, as you reflect on projects and tasks and, and things that are laid out for you, which one of those or which ones of those are satisfying to you? Satisfying to the point that, um, that if you weren't even getting paid or there was no reward, tangible reward for doing this, you'd still do it out of love, out of passion. What does that look like? Ask yourself those three questions and allow that to help dictate what really should be a priority in your life based on how you, how you think and you respond to those. But your purpose ought to determine what your priorities are. Your purpose ought to determine what your priorities are. And when you don't prioritize according to your purpose, you're gonna live a life of frustration and you're gonna live a life of fatigue you're always gonna feel tired, like you're just running through the clock. I heard a story about a, a woman who said to her husband as he was leaving for work one day, sweetheart, don't forget that we're moving today. Don't come back to the old address. We're moving today. The husband answered a little testy as he drove away. You don't need to remind me that. Don't you think I can remember that we're moving today? Hello? But sure enough, this man was so absorbed in his work that he drove back to the same house that evening. But this time the door was open, the paper was in the yard, and the house was empty of furniture. He said to himself, oh no, she said I would forget. I don't know if any husband's said that to themselves. She said I would forget, and I did. To make matters worse, I don't remember where we moved. 
Just then, he saw a little boy on a bicycle, and he said to the little boy, um, excuse me, little boy, do you know the family that, that used to live here? The little boy said, yes, sir. He said, the man said, would you happen to know where they moved to? The little boy looked at him and said, Daddy, Mom said you'd forget. <laughs> I submit to you that this man, this was a man that had misplaced priorities. Amen? Yeah. A quick recap. As we look at getting the most out of our time in alignment with God's priorities for our lives, you need to know that your passions determine your purposes, and your purposes direct your priorities. And the last point is this. Your priorities dictate your productivity. Now, for, for, for folks who work in the business world, generally speaking, you'll hear this term productivity, and everyone's about how do we get more, how do we get more done? Either work, you know, work smarter, not harder kind of thing. How do we get more done? We have to be more productive and all that good stuff. And spending more time on your priorities means spending less time on other things. Spending more time on your priorities means that some things got to fall, fall off the list, right? Or they're just not as important. And I know that it's easy for, for people to say, well, I just got to figure out how I can work more efficiently. If I can get something that would have taken me an hour done in 45 minutes, well, then I'm going to be able to, to work this all together. And that sounds good, and it might help you to a certain extent, but the reality for most people is it doesn't really work out that way, at least not to, to, the, to the degree that they have in their heads. It doesn't really work that way. The bottom line is this. If you have a full plate, if you have a full plate and you're going to add something to your full plate, you have to subtract something. If you have a full plate and you want to add something, you got to subtract something. You got to take something off. It's your 24, but it's only 24. Take a look at your schedule from last week. Think about what you did, everything, everything for last week. And, and think about this. What, what, would I have, what would I have had to given up? What would I give up to gain three or four hours for this other thing that I want um, to be a higher priority? What could I have given up that would have given me three or four hours? I want to suggest to you that there's probably at least one thing, if not more than one thing, that if you really think about what you, what's important and what you could have given up, we can probably find three or four hours, if not more than that. It doesn't matter if you're an employer, if you're the boss, the company owner. It doesn't matter if you're the employee. It doesn't matter if you're a student. Basically, and I'm being very general when I say this, but basically, 80% of what you do, 80% of what you do every day, anyone can do. Anyone can do. I know that statement probably doesn't make you feel very valued or that your work is appreciated. I understand that. But it's probably true. It's probably true. 80% of what you do. Think of your typical day. Maybe you're answering calls. Maybe you're checking emails, taking some notes. Maybe you're in a factory making some widgets, right? Maybe you're running some reports, sitting down in meetings. Basically, anybody can do 80% of what you do. Now, about another 15% of what you do, anyone with a little bit of skill, and a little is a very vague term, but some skill can probably do those things as well. This might include things like being a, a whiz in, in Excel or Photoshop or, or QuickBooks or AutoCAD and different stuff like that. With some training, those other 15% of what you do, anyone can do with a little bit of training. Now, my goal isn't to offend anyone when I say that. And my goal is not to make you feel devalued. But really, my goal is to make you focus on the remaining 5%. That's what we want. We want to focus on the remaining 5%. The 5% principle. The 5% of things that only you can do. The 5% of things that only you can do. You see, 
No one else in the world can do these, this 5%. An example is this. You see, me, only I can be the husband to my wife, Shelly. Only I can be daddy to my three boys. They will never have another father, ever. I'm not talking about our, our spiritual father, our, our God. But they will never have another father. Only I can be that. Only I can spend time with God for me. Only I can grow spiritually and professionally for me. I can't hire someone else to grow for me. There are certain things that only you can do. Only you can do them. And in the end, when we stand before God and he is judging us, as the Bible tells us he will, that 5% is going to come into play in how he judges. The 5% that only you could do. It's part of the, it's part of the, the, the judgment that we are going to be accountable for. God's not going to hold you accountable for whether or not your business made it to the Fortune 500. He's not going to hold you accountable for that. He's not going to hold you accountable for how, how well your, your employees performed. He's not going to hold you accountable. Now, don't miss the point here. I'm not, some people are still stuck on, I don't think that everyone can do 80% of what I can do. Everyone can do 50%. Don't miss the point. That's not the point. The point is there are things that only you can do. Only you can do. And you'll be held accountable for those. And that's what I would encourage you to invest in and make sure you're aligning priorities on because only you can do them. And as you think of the, this 5% principle that I'm talking about when it comes to time management and priorities, let me give you five words, five words that can destroy your life. And I know I'm guilty of saying them myself. Five words that can destroy your life and can have an impact on your future. The five words are, I don't have the time. And I've said it. I probably said it this past week. I probably said it yesterday. We delude ourselves into thinking, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be silent in front of God. I don't have time to read my Bible or go to church. I don't have time to just sit on the couch and hang out with my kids. I don't have time to just listen to my wife, allowing her to, to vent and share, and have no, no intention or no agenda but just to be there. I don't have time. Don't get stuck into that. You've heard Pastor Rick say this time and time again. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy, period. If you're too busy for God, you're just too busy. I want to suggest and ask and, and, and recommend that you invest more time this coming week into your 5%. You figure out what that 5% is for you and invest more time into your top 5%. Back to our friend Nehemiah. The rest of his response was pretty nice. He says, he goes on to say, why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Right? This is in response to, to, to Sanballat asking him. In other words, how does me stopping what I'm doing and coming and talking to you how does that benefit my job? How does that benefit my goal? How does that benefit me accomplishing and fulfilling the purpose that I'm trying to accomplish in alignment with God? How does that help the situation? How does it benefit anything more than the great work that I'm doing right now? And in verse 4 he says, and they sent me four they sent and they sent to me four times in this way asking to meet with him. And I answered in the same manner. Here's what's significant about that. Here's what's significant about what Nehemiah did. If Nehemiah had come off the wall, 
and met with Sanballat, they would have killed him. They would have killed Nehemiah. And in that same way, there are things that are in your life. There's things that are in your life and, 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 and things that, that, you, that you need to complete and things that you need to work on. And if you don't, and if you come off the wall, if you get off the focus, you have the potential of ruining your life. There's potential that if you drift off of the plan and the purpose that God has for you, once you know it, once you're aligned, it can have a drastic impact on your life. Maybe it doesn't take your life, but it could absolutely change the course you're on, the direction that you're heading. It has the potential to ruin our lives. When it comes to raising our children, I'm doing a good work and I cannot come down. When it comes to working on your marriage, improving your marriage, I'm doing a good work and I can't come down. When it comes to your relationship with God and striving to be the best version of you that God has intended for you, your response to everything else needs to be, I'm doing a good work right now and I can't come down. When it comes to your time, your 24, are you going to be proactive or are you going to be reactive? Do you focus more on just getting through the week, each and every week? Or are you planning ahead for your week so that you can accomplish your goals, reach the goals that you have set out for the week? Are you operating proactively? Are you in control of your schedule? Or is your schedule controlling you? The issue is not, will my calendar be full? That's not the issue. The issue is, what will fill my calendar? What will fill my calendar? The issue is not prioritizing our schedule. It's scheduling our priorities. I'm going to say that one more time. The issue is not prioritizing our schedule. It is scheduling our priorities. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I thank you for the, the examples that you've given us in your word, Father. Examples for us to learn from and for us to live by. Father, I pray right now that, that you would speak to our hearts, Father, that you would help us understand that you have placed the, the abilities and the talents in us. Father, you have, you have given us passions that align with our abilities and our talents. Father, I pray that we would, we would understand that your goal would be to take our passions and align them to a purpose, a purpose that honors you and gives you glory, Father. I pray that you'd help us to, to move from, from having uh, passions and purposes and align that, Lord, into our priorities, Father. You give us eyes to see the things that we need to see. Father God, you give us ears to hear, Father. Lord, I pray that you give us the boldness to simply say no to the things that are not important. There's things that do not belong on our plate that shouldn't make that list. Lord, I pray that you would help us to identify those and help us to say no to those things, Father. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to understand that, that, the un, that our priorities need to lead to us being productive. And Father, that we'd make sure that the big part of our, our productivity is the 5% of things that only we can do. Lord, that we would not neglect the call that you have on our lives, the call to be friends, the call to be fathers and mothers, the call to be brothers and sisters, the call to be um, husbands and wives. Father, I pray that you would help us to always put those things as our top five. Father, I thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. And we ask that you continue to work in us and through us, Lord. And while every head is head is bowed and every eye is closed, 
I want to extend an invitation to anyone who, who maybe doesn't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. I'd be remiss if I assumed that everyone under the sound of my voice, both in this place as well as watching online, have already made that decision to accept Jesus Christ. The most important decision anyone will ever make. So right now, if that is you, just where you are in the quietness of your, of your seat, wherever you may be, say something like this. Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. Lord, I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Lord, come into my heart. Change my mind. Renew me, Father. Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that you made for me 2,000 years ago. Lord, help me to live my, my life in a way that honors you, puts you first from this day forward. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray. And we all said, amen. Thank you so very much for listening to this message. We hope you were truly blessed. If you were, please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already and share it with a friend. Doing so will cause the seeds of God's word and the message of his love to spread like wildfire. So thanks again for partnering with us in this important way. Stay thirsty for Christ, my friends, until the whole world hears. God bless.